When life happens, plans need to change. Shaping Change, hosted by certified financial planner Ross Marino, is dedicated to helping financial advisors better serve their clients when life takes those unexpected turns. Welcome. I'm joined once again by Susan K. Bradley, founder of the Sudden Money Institute. Hello, Susan. Hello, Ross. Good to be with you. We're going to talk today about actions that lead to a fulfilling retirement. But before we dive into that, let's take a quick review of the last podcast where we talked about the three C's of retirement. Can you walk us through those one more time? Sure. Uh, What we're talking about with the three C's is community, control, and contribution. And when we talk about a topic as big and personal as retirement, we try to build some structure around there. So you have sort of a blueprint to to structure your life and build that vitality and that well-being that you're looking for. And community is the first of the three C's. And that implies the connection with other people. It could be various kinds of communities. It could be in your neighborhood. It could be, as we, the world we live in a community that's online, a Zoom community. There are many versions of that. Prior to the pandemic, what we were really thinking about when we said community was to physically show up someplace and connect with other people, either as a volunteer or maybe as a parishioner or maybe as someone who takes uh, some sports up and things like that. With the pandemic, we all learned that we can build community online and that's a valid form of it as well. But the main thing is also to have control. You don't want to have your life run by someone else when you're in retirement. Of course, there are concessions and there are trade-offs, but the idea is to understand what's important to you and to begin to to shape the daily, the weekly, the annual experience that you have. Um, And we, we can find ways to control that along with other people. So it doesn't mean like you're just this one single person that everything goes your way, but control, thinking of control, what kind of boundaries you want to set what kind of routines do you want to commit to? And then contribution. Uh, science has been uh, all over this in the last decade about the value of uh, making some kind of a contribution, probably more than just writing a check. Although we don't want to diminish writing a check, that's an important thing to do too. But we really didn't need science to tell us that helping other people, being part of uh, uh, solving a problem or being part of uh, a cause or something that is meaningful to us, that that gives us a good feeling. The research is there, great, but you'll know it yourself when you're making contributions. You'll know how you feel inside and out. Now we're going to put the three C's into action, and there's a few aspects that we want to bring up. The first is going to be routine, and when we say routine, we mean doing something regularly as scheduled. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be daily or weekly or even monthly, but it has to be something on a consistent basis where it's on the calendar, and in our mind, it's not a should-do, it's a must-to. And we know that that's extremely important. Can you give us some insight into why it's so important to have something and many things really that are routine once you're retired? 
Well, Russ, I know that you're a man of routines and that's how you great, create all kinds of great things in your life for your business and for your family. But when you take away the structure of going to work those 40 hours or 60 hours or 20 hours a week, you have this big open space. So again, you, you take control of that and you make some commitments. And when you do that, you're structuring the way your, your mind, your body, your relationships start to work. You are shaping the, the change. I journal on a regular basis and I try to do it in the morning. And this morning I actually wrote down that distractions lessen when I have priorities. And it's just that mindset that distractions can get in our way, but often the reason I'm distracted is because I didn't have something written down. I didn't have a routine. When I know I must do something, it's much harder to get distracted. And well, it's easy for me to get distracted on a regular basis, but that's why <laughs> I have to have the process. I have checklists for my checklist and I have routines and it works for me really well. It helps me focus. It grounds me. And really it gives you a, a level of self-confidence that you're going to get done the things that you need to get done. Now, during our working years, we're often forced to do that because we have objectives we have to perform. But all of a sudden now we transition to retirement. I'm not forced as much to stay focused on a routine like that. And maybe work became unsatisfying at some point in my career. And then I finally retired, but that routine, that was always gonna be a big part of my life. So if I'm someone who transitions to retirement, I may now notice that that routine is more important than I realized. Absolutely. And it's, it is a challenge to start to consciously use that time that you had committed to work. It's, it's a challenge we see all around the world. But as you build routines and you consciously build routines, remember the three C's. We talked about community, we talked about control, and we talked about uh, contribution. That can all be built into the routines, the commitments you make on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis. So when you have a routine, you're absolutely right that it focuses you, that you start to accomplish things, you feel good about yourself. It doesn't matter if it's walking around the block with a neighbor or it's to help physically build a, a structure for someone or even for yourself. It doesn't have to always be about other people. It can be your own routine about what's important to you. The idea is, is to not overschedule yourself, not get so bogged down with routines that you start to have a stress experience over it. You want to have the routines be something that gives you vitality, something at the end of it, you feel some accomplishment. You don't have to feel like you climbed Mount Everest because there's just not many times in life you're going to climb Mount Everest. But all the little pieces that come together to build well-being and a, and a lovely life really can be built on routines. And a big aspect of that routine is the second point we want to talk about today with the three C's in action. And that's going to be social. And that means when we're doing things routinely, when they're on the schedule, we want to make sure we have plenty of activities that are social. And social can have two different aspects. It can be around the same people, and that brings a consistency and a depth to relationships that really leads to overall satisfaction with life. But it's also being around new people that stimulate your thinking. 
But let's start with just the aspect of being social. Why is it so important to not just be active, but to be active and have a routine and also make sure it's social? Well, the opposite of socializing would be isolation. And we know that isolation is generally not good for us as human beings. We are social animals. And with isolation, you start to break down other things like routines. Um, and you, you start to, um, the, the emotional state, the, they associate depression with isolation, for instance, um, obsessive behaviors. And we all probably have a little bit of all these things that are kind of, um, psychologically challenging to us, but they all seem to go to an extreme or have the potential, is what we should say, potential to go to extremes when we're isolated. When we talk about being social, we're not making the assumption that everyone is an extrovert. Some of us like our own time. They, we enjoy being by ourselves. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's the exclusion of being with other people is that what we're talking about. In fact, instead of just being an extrovert or an introvert, most of us are ambiverts. We're a little bit of both. So when you're in, in retirement, you have a little more time to reflect and see what gives you that sense of connection. If you're overly social, you're going to get tired. You're going to probably feel a little bit cranky. You're not going to look forward to being with other people. So you're trying to find some kind of a balance. It's okay to have days by yourself or time by yourself, but it's important that you have some social interaction with people that are like you, people that are not like you, um, and people that maybe you haven't seen in a long time. Since the pandemic, these uh, family Zoom meetings have happened and cousins and distant relatives have been been finding each other or old classmates have been finding each other. So there are so many ways now to be social in your own home. And, and that's a little more challenging than what we usually think of with social, but it's turning out to be very satisfying for people all over the world. I know that during the pandemic, isolation is certainly a problem. And I take it a little bit farther than just the social isolation. One of the aspects we try to constantly communicate is looking at two sides. So we talk about the two sides of retirement here. There's well-being and then there's wealth. We want to improve and increase both as we age. And there's also two sides to every argument, as you say. There's a maybe a positive to some things, there's a negative to some things. What I see with isolation, and this is something that I've brought up with my kids to talk to them about it, is with isolation, you may be isolated in information that you receive. And this can have implications on how you think. So for example, mm. if someone just watches one news program, they're only going to get one perspective for the most part. When you become isolated from views that aren't the same as yours, it's much easier to become a little more focused. And we see that influencing financial decisions. And an example I'll use is related to the election that we just have. I'll have a phone call at nine o'clock mm -hmm. in the morning and a client may call in and want to talk about their portfolio. Uh, disclaimer, of course, there's no financial advice here. We're not telling anybody to buy or sell anything. We're not making any recommendations. We're just talking about how people discuss portfolios and investments. Well, they would call in and at nine o'clock, someone would say, I am really worried about the stock market. I'm afraid it might crash if Biden wins. And then we would have a conversation. And then at 10 o'clock, I have a call with another client. 
it's almost the identical call. They're worried about the stock market crashing. They're worried about their investments, what it could mean to their retirement. And the reasons they give lead up to, I'm afraid Trump might win. So even though we see a different outcome as far as who may win the election, the implications are the same in our mind. And often that's because we're isolated from points of views. And we really believe that what's going to happen, something terrible, is because of one politician may win versus another. And I think a lot of that is because of the isolation, because the people that are calling me, they're intelligent. And the reasons that they bring up, they're not far-fetched. They're not crazy. They're legitimate concerns. They just happen to be the exact same concerns most of the time. It's just a different person they're talking about. So we always want to try to push beyond isolation to look at different sides of every argument and really talk about that. And I think it'll help people in the long run. So now we're going to switch to the third aspect. We want to make sure that it's routine. We want to make sure that it's social. And then we want to make sure that what we're doing is challenging. Explain challenging to us, Susan. It's such a wonderful experience, isn't there, Ross, when you've challenged yourself and you've accomplished something. Um, I go back to exercise frequently because that's one of the key components of a, of a good, healthy life, particularly in retirement when you have a little bit more time to structure that. But even if you've never exercised and you finally are able to walk a mile and then you push it to a mile and a quarter, having little goals like that really gives you confidence that you can do other big things. So when you build in some kinds of challenges, and we want these really to be doable, you know, going back to exercise, if you haven't been exercising and you join some really intense exercise group, chances are pretty good you're going to have an injury. So you, or if you say you want to learn another language, that's a big challenge. And if you start from zero and you jump into an advanced class, you're going to feel over your head and maybe like there's no way I I can do this. So we have to find sort of our right entry point for, for the challenges that we take. But each time you accomplish something, you have the confidence that you can do more and you can do more and you can do more. And, you know, Russ, this is important to think about too. I, again, the, the exercise thing, not everybody can do that. Some people as they're aging or maybe they're retired because of injuries or an illness. So it's not just physical it's not just mental. It could be um, picking up some kind of art. It could be a challenge that you have with a group of people. It doesn't have to be your own challenge. It could be a challenge that you create with your, your siblings, with your grandchildren, with your neighbors. There are so many different ways. And so if you look at a problem and you take it as a challenge and you break it down into small increments that are doable, the whole thing behind this challenge in this uh, routine and, um, and social and challenging is that it be doable. So break it down into doable parts and enjoy the progress. And I think if it's too easy, you run the risk of getting bored. So let's transition to the fourth aspect, which is measurable. When we're going to take on an activity, if we're going to be problem solving, we want to see the progress and that's the measurable. I give credit to Dan Sullivan for The Gap and the Gain, one of my favorite books on understanding that successful people in life focus more on the gain of where they were yesterday and the progress that they made today, not where they wish there would be or what perfection seems like to them, but it's the actual gain, it's the progress. And, and I know uh, Kahneman talks about that as well, one of the most 
most famous psychologists out there that fulfillment in life isn't just from relationships and people around you. That brings happiness. He differentiates the two. The fulfillment is from accomplishments of doing things where you can actually measure them and see the progress. It's part of my journaling, certainly part of my checklist, part of going over goals so you can see the progress. But as we go into retirement, we now have to switch of what is measurable because we don't have as many obvious activities where we can chart our progress and see this is measurable growth out of it. So how do we do that? How do we do that in retirement when we don't have as many activities that really force us to have a measurable aspect to it? Well, a lot of it, Russ, again, is putting attention on making something measurable on setting a goal, we said challenging. And then how do you measure the progress or the gain that's there? And it could just be breath capacity because you back to exercise, you do something and you're running out of breath. Now I can do this without running out of breath. Doesn't have to be a huge thing like that. In the investment world, we talk about ROI, return on investment, but there is ROE, return on effort. And when you look at these things that, that come up for you, maybe it's learning something new. It could be something to do with food and cooking and nutrition and, and that there may be markers that you set with your, your physiology, with your doctor, <clears throat> bringing down cholesterol or something like that. That's kind of a private goal that you might have, but at the same time, it's measurable and it has some importance to it. If you're learning a new language, there are all kinds of goals that you can set. And I think the difference here, Ross, is uh, let's say learning a language. Um, it's you can go ahead and keep doing it and not have anything that's measurable and it can be challenging. But if you want to set a goal, maybe have some, some ways to test your capacity. And in many programs have built-in quizzes. People like to have quizzes and see how they did on this or how they did on that. Um, the, and, and it could also be in relationships. Um, I know that so many families were having difficulties in talking about political difference in the, the year that just has, has ended. And some of the families that I know set a goal to learn how to have important civil conversations without getting upset, without people walking away feeling that terrible feeling of being misunderstood or angry or whatever. So that was very subjective. But a few of the people that I'm thinking of are very proud of themselves that, that they have that as a measurement. They can talk and they can disagree and they can walk away feeling okay. They were heard. They disagree, but they're not angry. So it can be from hard numbers that you get from your doctor. It could be from internal feelings of satisfaction and, and well-being. But it takes attention and you got to set your own measurements. As we go into these activities, one of the challenges I think is before I retire, I can look at what I think I want to do once I retire. Hmm. And it may be really important to me before I retire. It may seem like the most wonderful thing I've waited my whole life to do this. Then I retire, I start doing it, whatever it may be. Maybe it's traveling, maybe it's playing golf, maybe it's gardening, only to realize I'm not really that into this. So I think people have this challenge that once they go into retirement, their view is going to change. It's a transition. They're now going to see the world differently. They see it from their schedule because now they have more time. When you transition into retirement, you see money differently. If you're 
still working and you have, let's say a million dollars in stocks or bonds or investments or some portfolio, you view it a certain way while you're working. Maybe you're not withdrawing any money. Maybe you're adding to it. You're still saving. But then all of a sudden you retire. You're no longer adding money to those investments. And you're all of a sudden looking at something you're going to withdraw from. So instead of a nest egg growing, you think, wait a minute, my nest egg is hatching. A million dollars is not a million dollars in your mind before and after retirement. You view it differently. Activities are going to be the same. And what we've seen on our end is people look at certain activities and they understand they're trying them out. But what we want to encourage people to do is not write a big check until they're absolutely sure. An example would be if you want the RV life, then go rent an RV. Don't go buy the brand new RV. I wonder what percentage of people buy a brand new RV and then 12 months later have used it anywhere near the amount of time they thought they would. Some people do, some people use it more. That's okay, may go for a condo as well. So kind of dip your toe in, try out different things before you make big commitments because those can be really expensive down the road. Any final comments on these four aspects, Susan? Yes, Ross, before we leave this, let's just talk about the fact that many people spend retirement with a partner, married or unmarried, two stakeholders. They may have two different ideas of what is measurable, social, challenging, and routine. They may have to have two different calendars, possibly three. They each have to have their own version of this. This is not always a um, something that blends well with two different people. So have a blended calendar of things that meet these four characteristics and have your own. And then be willing to be a bit flexible because you may both be drawing from the same resources, whether they're time or their money. And that's, um, that's a good challenge right there. And it's also measurable to see how you can work it out. And you both can feel very fulfilled together and individually when you enter retirement. Thanks so much for being on the show today, Susan. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Shaping Change with Ross Marino. This show is for general information purposes only and is not intended to provide recommendations or advice. Speak with a legal, tax, or financial advisor before making any decisions. Past performance references are historical and do not guarantee future results. Visit rlsummit.com to learn more.